Podcast One production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Did you know that the way you breathe can have a massive effect on the way your body functions? Even down to the nostril that you breathe through can either raise your heart rate and blood pressure or actually calm you down. This is just some of the fascinating research that author and science journalist James Nestor has discovered in his book, Breath. In this episode, Adam connects to James Nestor in California and chats to him about the amazing research that he did for this book, how it came to be, what he learned, and then, of course, what we can apply in our lives to make us feel better, healthier, stronger. And by the sounds of it, it's going to help us sleep better as well. It's a great episode and we really hope you enjoy it. And if you want to get in touch with the show, healthhackerthemanshake.com.au is the email address or hit us up on Adam's Manshake socials or, of course, at the website, themanshake.com.au. Adam is always giving away prize packs as well. So it's a new year. We want to feel great. We want to get healthier and better. And weirdly, we can do a lot of it without doing a fad diet. We can do it with breathing. So enjoy this conversation with Adam McDougall and author and journalist, James Nestor. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, James. How are you? Doing pretty well, thanks. Well, I'm excited. I don't get too excited too often. My wife always says, she says that's my worst quality. (laughs) Um, However, I am excited today because I'm getting to interview somebody that's not only changed the lives of a lot of my friends who I've been speaking to about this interview, but most importantly, from a selfish point of view, mine. Um, I played, obviously, professional sports for 20 years. I currently still work with some of the best athletes uh, throughout the world and uh, I am amazed that nobody during my time as a professional athlete told me about breathing. Um, <laughs> they're willing to tell us to eat all these different things, prod us with different sorts of things and, you know, put us under different therapies and whatnot and train us um, until we uh, couldn't run anymore. Yet no one said to me, hey, guys, um, maybe this breathing thing is something we should look at. Um, is that something, James, given the fact that... Uh, you're uh, written this book, uh, Breathe, um, which is an amazing book. I can't recommend it enough. It's life-changing. Were you perplexed by this as well when you started to do your research? Absolutely. You know, uh, I went into this field not knowing much about breathing at all, having never written about it, but having chronic respiratory problems that no one could seem to really solve for me. You know, I kept getting bronchitis, kept getting pneumonia, kept wheezing. I was working out all the time. I was boxing, martial arts, surfing, all that, eating all the right food, still getting sick constantly. And had I known it was tied to how I was breathing, uh, you know, my life for the past 20 years would have been drastically different, but at least I know it now. And it took a yoga class from memory from reading the book that actually changed your whole urgency around breathing? Yeah, my doctor suggested I check out a breathing class. And here in San Francisco, those things are a dime a dozen. You can't throw a beer bottle and not, not hit about uh, 20 different breathing classes. So I picked one at random and went through the whole protocol. It was okay. And a few weeks later, I went there when I was uh, very stressed out about job stuff, about fixing up my house, all that kind of stuff. And just had this really profound reaction, physical reaction, where I started sweating profusely, sweat through my T-shirt, my hair was sopping wet. Uh, it was just a complete mess, but I felt great. And I went back and asked my doctor about it. She had no idea what had happened. She said that maybe I had a fever or the room was too hot, which of course, none of that was true at all. She just had no way of explaining it. So it was really until I met freedivers that I started to understand the true potential of breath and where it could take us. Yeah. Can you explain why breathing is so important in general? We do it 25,000 times on average, so they say. Um, 
what does breathing actually do apart from the obvious keeping us alive? Why is it so important? Well, there's the biochemical process of breathing. We need oxygen. We need to feed our hungry cells. And, you know, that is certainly a big part of it. But there's also the biomechanical part, which is not really considered. No one really thinks about that. So if you're doing something incorrectly 25,000 times a day, or you're struggling just even slightly that often, what's going to happen to your body? You're going to wear your body down. And that's exactly what's happened to our population. So we've been breathing through our mouths for so long. We've been breathing too much. We haven't been using our diaphragms. And this has just worn us down in so many ways. And once I started getting into this field and talking to these experts, you know, I had no idea that how we breathed was connected to stuff like diabetes or autoimmune problems or migraines or <laughs> high blood pressure. But breathing is really the anchor throughout the vast majority of systems in the body. And we have to do it correctly if we're going to share in good health. Well, I love the chapter of the book that was titled, We Are the Worst Breathers in the Animal Kingdom. Can you expand on that? That's brilliant. <laughs> sure. Uh, this is depressing, but but all true. And all you need to do is go and look at other animals, look at how they're breathing, look at their skeleture, look at their teeth, look at their mouths, and you realize that other animals all have perfectly straight teeth, hmm. right? And our ancestors, anyone older than about 400 years old, there's a good chance they had perfectly straight teeth. I talked to one researcher who specialized in looking at ancient human skulls, she said that she had never seen a hunter gather with crooked teeth, not one of them in 30 years of work. So something has happened to us, something has happened to our bodies, our faces and our mouths, and it hasn't been good. For the past 300 years, our mouths have been growing smaller and smaller and smaller so that our teeth no longer fit. That's why we have crooked teeth. And there's another problem with having a mouth that's too small for your face. It means you have a smaller airway. That means you are much more apt to suffer from various airway obstruction issues from snoring, sleep apnea, and other respiratory problems. Yeah, wow. And the other thing that a lot of people will be scared to hear is the fact that uh, we think as human beings we've progressed so much, but you touch upon the book that we've <laughs> regressed, for want of a better term, as a species as far as our skulls go. Yeah, you know, when I was in high school, which was a zillion years ago, I had always learned that evolution mm. meant survival of the fittest, right? Animals just keep getting stronger and faster and better with every generation. But you look at the human species right now, and that is very obviously not what has been happening. You look yeah. at the rates, at least, of, of obesity in, in the U.S., uh, rates of asthma, autoimmune diseases, osteoporosis. None of these things are advantageous to our long-term survival, okay? Um, so I had learned after a few months that evolution just means change. <laughs> it does not mean progress. And the human body, in many ways, is changing for the worse. And again, all you have to do is look around, and, and the signs of that are all over the place. Yeah, I love the, uh, the research around how the skulls, when they're actually ultrasounding now, babies. Can you talk about that? Because I, now I'm, I'm just stuck staring at people's jaws. Everywhere I go now, I'm starting to stare at people's jaws to see how they're shrinking and the facial structures regressing backwards instead of forwards. And even babies now are being born with this, I suppose, dysfunction. <laughs> 
Yeah, try writing a book about this stuff for five <laughs> years. You become a complete neurotic. <laughs> but this is one of the things that was really, really nuts. So if you have poor oral posture, if you don't have chewing stress, especially early on in life, if you haven't been breastfed, you are much more apt to grow a smaller mouth and it actually changes your profile. So you will look different. And that smaller mouth, again, leads to airway obstruction, makes you much more susceptible to that. But what was even crazier is these are now becoming heritable traits. Wow. I was looking at a bunch of fetal skulls, ancient fetal skulls. My work life is pretty weird, but at, at the museum, looking at ancient fetal skulls, they had a completely different profile than we do now. So this is actually starting in the womb. Right out of the gate, we're hosed. We are at a disadvantage simply to breathe. Yeah, well, I've got little kids. What would you recommend there? Be with chewing gum, for example, if they eat a lot of salt foods, and you can expand on this is one of the reasons, because now we're eating these highly processed, highly palatable foods. With chewing gum, for example, you can't get your kids to eat certain. Would that train the jaw to be be stronger as such for little kids? Yeah, it does look like like it would, and the people who specialize in this stuff do suggest that. But the best thing you can do is have them eat whole foods, mm. have them eat carrots, have them eat hard foods that our ancestors were eating for millions of years. Yeah. So the advantage of that is not only nutrition, it enables them to participate in this masticatory stress, which is so essential for proper skeletal and muscular growth uh, early on. So another thing you can do, and I've talked to several people uh, who specialize in these areas, is when they're early, have them see a special dentist and an orthodontist to look to see their airways and see if they're going to be more susceptible to snoring and sleep apnea. There is an epidemic right now of snoring and sleep apnea in kids. And sleep apnea is directly related to ADHD and so many long-term problems later on in life. Because if you're struggling to breathe every single night, especially during these stages of fast development, it's going to really impair you mentally, physically, and so on. And you can speak to this firsthand. This is why I love you and respect you so much as a journalist. You're somebody that went into this with an open mind, looking to challenge both sides, but then you expose yourself to one of the most God-forbidden experiments ever. Can you tell us, you've experienced these negative effects of not breathing properly yourself. Can you tell them the crazy, wacky experiment you subjected yourself to to prove the effects of not breathing correctly? Sure. So I would have been a terrible breather my whole life. Didn't know this, but, but absolutely true. Mouth breather. I had extractions, braces, headgear, eating soft processed food, like that whole thing. So uh, once I started getting into this research, I'm lucky enough to live in San Francisco. So I'm pretty close to Stanford, which is a world renowned research institution university. And I got to be pretty good friends with the chief of rhinology research down at Stanford, a guy by the name of Dr. Jayakar Nayak. So he's a big nose guy. He knows that all of the <laughs> benefits of breathing <laughs> through the nose uh, for immune function, for, I mean, I could go down this uh, a laundry list of different benefits, athletic performance, facial development, on and on. And he knows all the problems with mouth breathing, uh, increased risk of respiratory problems, developmental problems, neurological problems, all that. But nobody knew how quickly that damage from mouth breathing came on. Nobody had studied it. So over a few months, we sort of were talking back and forth and we thought, oh, it'd be interesting to do an experiment. So I volunteered. He said that he would not ask subjects to do this because he thought it was unethical. <laughs> so I volunteered, found another guy, and we plugged <laughs> our noses for 10 days. 
and just breathe through our mouths and collect the data three times a day to figure out how this would affect our bodies and brains. And to say that you felt like crap literally within the first couple of hours is an understatement. Can you just explain like how quickly you actually seen the adverse effects of actually breathing through the mouth? Yeah, so the subjective measurements were one thing. Yeah, yeah we felt awful. We didn't think this was going to make us feel great, right? So we knew that right out of the gate. But what was really convincing and a little scary was to look at objective measurements, to look at data. So my blood pressure shot up within a couple hours as high as I've ever seen it in my entire life. And yeah. I just contributed that to uh, just being stressed out that day. We're at Stanford for eight hours, four different blood draws, all that stuff. But then I went to sleep that night. And for the first time that I'm aware of, I started snoring. So I had not been snoring before and I snored an hour and a half. And then a couple of days later, I was snoring four hours throughout the night. I started suffering from sleep apnea, started waking up about four times throughout the night to, to go to the bathroom. I was fatigued. My athletic performance was in the gutter. I mean, it was so drastic and so awful. It was, uh, you know, at the beginning, we were kind of laughing about this. We're like, oh, this sucks. This is terrible. <laughs> but when you think about it, that 25 to 50% of the population habitually breathes through its mouth and about 70%, that's an estimate, breathes through its mouth during sleeping. Mm. And no one's been told that this makes you more susceptible to snoring or sleep apnea or all these other problems. You know, we treat all these symptoms of these problems, but we're not looking at the core thing, which is so often related to how we breathe. Amazing. Such an interesting topic. And then we can then dive a little bit deeper then. So we've learned from you already this morning, which is life-changing for anyone listening to this. We don't want to be breathing through the mouth. So we want to be breathing through the nose. Is this the right way to breathe? So is this what we should focus on? Absolutely. And, you know, if, if I, I can show you, I know a lot of people are listening yeah. to this. I'm showing a 3D cross section of a skull. And if you were to look at your skull in this deli slicer view, which I've looked at my own skull and so many other skulls, you will see that the nose is this incredibly ornate thing. So it has all of these various structures that look like a seashell. And so when we breathe through the nose, we're forcing air through these structures where that air is heated, it's moistened, it's yeah. conditioned, it's pressurized so that by the time it enters our lungs, we can extract oxygen so much more efficiently. We get 20% more oxygen breathing through our nose than we do equivalent breaths through our mouth. Wow. And if you think that's not going to make a difference throughout the day, wow. especially when working out, you're absolutely huh. crazy. And again, this is something that I've found the science has been there for decades and yet no one was really talking about it. Can you talk about nitric oxide as well? That's another effect of breathing through the nose. Yeah, so uh, in the nose are all of these different tissues, endothelial cells, that release something called nitric oxide. We release nitric oxide throughout the body as well, but the paranasal sinuses release six times more nitric oxide than if we were to just breathe through the mouth. And if we hum, we can increase that 15-fold. Wow. So nitric oxide is this incredible molecule that plays an essential role in vasodilation and oxygenation of tissues. It reduces your risk of stroke, of heart attacks. I should also mention that nitric oxide is a molecule that is released when you take sildenafil, 
also known as Viagra. <laughs> That's why Viagra does its magic because it releases nitric oxide. So the fact that so many people are breathing through their mouths means that they are not getting as much nitric oxide as they need. And it's no coincidence. I was just listening to this interview with Dr. Louis Ignaro, who won the Nobel Prize for his work in nitric oxide in the 90s. And he said that 80% of men who have type 2 diabetes also have erectile dysfunction. Wow. And that is no coincidence. So much of this is related to breathing and specifically the role that nitric oxide plays in cardiovascular health. Well, now we've moved into that area below the belt, the uh, genitalia region. Can you explain to people the nose tissue is actually related to that part of the body as well? That was the smoothest segue I've ever heard, by the way. So, so good job on that. So, so yeah, this is stuff you, you start, you, you never think when you're writing a book about breathing that you're going to be learning about erectile tissue and, and nasal cavities. But, you know, my day job is weird. And what, what can I say? So we've known for about 100 years that our noses are covered with erectile tissue, which is the exact same erectile tissue in our genitals and responds in the same way. So it engorges with blood. It gets stiff, just like yeah. you know where. So it turns out that throughout the day, one nostril will dilate and open and the other will close. So our, our breathing shifts throughout our nostrils every 30 minutes to three or four hours. Wow. And some people have such a close connection between their noses and genitals, too close in my opinion, <laughs> that they suffer from something called honeymoon rhinitis, that when they get sexually stimulated, they start sneezing uncontrollably <laughs> because that, you know, not, not a nice thing to have. And um, I guess if you find someone sneezing right next to you, maybe you, you better think twice about uh, scooting a little closer. Can you expand on that breathing through different parts of, uh, oh, sorry, the left and right nostril? That, that's fascinating. When I read about that in your book, I was like, wow, that's interesting. Sure. So in yoga, uh, if you've gone to a yoga class, there's a good chance before or after the class, they're going to have you do something called alternate nostril breathing, mm. where you take your thumb and your finger and you breathe in through your right nostril and breathe out through your left nostril yeah. and do this back and forth. And there's various variations on the central theme of controlling the breath through your nostrils. But for about 20 years, there have been studies that have been showing that there's actually science behind this. So when we inhale through our right nostril, we stimulate our body, the blood pressure goes up, our heart rate goes up. And this is believed to heat up the body. It's sympathetic stress, stimulates us. The left nostril, inhaling and exhaling through it, will create a parasympathetic response in the body, which means your heart rate's going to go down. It's going to cool your body. Blood pressure is going to go down. So different nostril, depending on how you're breathing, will also affect your brain. Right nostril breathing will elicit more activity in the left quote unquote, creative side of your brain, where left nostril breathing will stimulate activity in the opposite side of the brain, in the right side of the brain, more considered to control logical functions. So the fact that our noses naturally do this throughout the day, and the fact that we can interrupt that and hack it with our fingers oh. to stimulate these different functions in our body, I just think is amazing. It's another reason why you need to be breathing through your nose so your body can naturally do this. Amazing, isn't it? You know, a lot of people, like I said, don't really think about the fact that they can control their breathing. They think it's an automatic 
you know, uh, I suppose, function. However, we can consciously interrupt this pattern of breathing to make it more effective. Yeah, and it's wonderful that it's unconscious. It would be awful if we had to think about our breathing <laughs> all the time, every moment of the day. Mm. But at the same time, just because it's unconscious doesn't mean what we're doing is a healthy thing. Mm. We also have a bunch of bad, negative, unconscious, stressful thoughts working around in our brain. And we need to address those in order for us to calm down. And breathing is the same. We get stuck with these habits of poor breathing and our bodies become accustomed to compensating for this poor breathing that after a while, we just think it's normal to constantly have migraine headaches, to constantly have our fingers be cold, to constantly have irritable bowel syndrome and high blood pressure and so many things. But, but it's not normal. And again, I'm, I want to be clear that breathing isn't a panacea. It's not going to fix every problem you have, but it is certainly a foundation of health. Be really hard to eat all the right foods, to exercise in all the right ways, and to celebrate in good health if you didn't have your breathing in check. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. The first tip is obviously breathe through the nose, not stop breathing through the mouth. And then you talk about we breathe too much and we don't breathe slow enough. Can you expand on that? Sure. So just like so many people are now eating too much, we're also breathing too much. That is what it looks like is happening. This is very hard stuff to measure, mm. but some researchers have measured it. And they found that populations, especially people with anxiety, people with panic disorders, people with fear-based disorders and asthma tend to breathe way more than they need to, far over their metabolic needs. And what they're doing when they're breathing this much is they're creating this negative feedback loop. So the way that the body and brain connect is primarily through the vagus nerve. And so this, this system, this network of nerves, 80% of the messages that are coming in uh, across the system are coming from the body to the brain, not to the brain, to the body, right? And, and so a lot of us think that the brain is controlling everything, but the brain is taking inputs from our body. So mm. how we breathe will send inputs to our brain on whether or not we're stressed out or we're relaxed. So simply changing the way you are breathing by breathing slowly will send messages to your anxious brain that things are okay and will actually get the brain to start functioning in different ways. So this is an incredible tool. And there's, I think one of the reasons why so few of us have heard about this stuff is it's totally free, yeah. <laughs> right? It's really hard to market this and put it in a package and, and sell it at grocery stores. Yeah. It's breathing. It's something we carry around with us. All of us do from the moment we're born to the moment we die. And we can hone that breathing. We can and hone this skill throughout the day with not a lot of effort. Yeah, amazing. So you recommend, and in the book, I encourage everyone to get this book. They were saying that research found it was about 5.5 breaths per minute is the ideal rate. That's going to vary, obviously, slightly. And you said before, you don't want to be sitting there, I suppose, psychoanalyzing every single breath that you take. But um, train yourself towards this pattern is the best optimization pattern. So this is a great exercise and it's very simple. It's been used by psychiatrists and there's been a few books written about it by prominent psychiatrists who have used this for people with depression, anxiety, athletes, asthmatics, panic sufferers. I mean, you name it because no one is... Uh, 
can't benefit from breathing at peak efficiency. And so this, this exercise was really studied. Uh, I considered the jumping off point for it about 20 years ago when some Italian researchers were looking at different prayers, Catholic prayers, Buddhist prayers, Kundalini prayers. And they noticed that all these prayers locked in at a respiratory rate of about five to six breaths per minute which means about a five to six second inhale and a five to six second exhale. They all did. And when they gathered subjects and put sensors all over their bodies, they noticed that by just breathing at this rate, your heart rate lowers, your blood pressure lowers, more oxygen enters your brain and your systems in the body enter a state called coherence where everything is working perfectly at peak efficiently, which is why this is called coherent breathing. And there's been several studies looking at having people just breathe it this way. And if you have a heart rate variability monitor at your house or a pulse oximeter, you can breathe at this rate and watch this transformation that happens in your body. So it's hard to breathe this way throughout the day. So start with a few minutes, start with five minutes. If five or six seconds is too long, shorten it. No one's judging you to three seconds in, three seconds out, and then build up on that. And you're going to notice so many people start feeling uh, when if their fingers or toes have been cooler, they start feeling more circulation in this area. They start feeling calm. And this isn't a placebo effect. This is circulation increasing. This is your body entering that state of efficiency. I love it. It's free, like you said. It's very simple. It's just a practice that you can do every single day anywhere. And it's trainable. That, that was the most amazing thing. I read your article um, from Outsider. And it was amazing how you touched upon early in the interview that, that this is what got you interested was the free diving. And the fact that when I heard you say that people have the world record for holding their breath at, for 12 minutes. What the hell is that? And like, in your experience went from holding your breath, you said for 40 seconds. And in one lesson, you then increased it, you know, to two and a half minutes, which you said wasn't that great compared to other people. Can you tell people about that? That's insane. Yeah. And anyone who's done a free diving class has, has experienced, not anyone, but, but most people have. And a few weeks after that, I was holding my breath for four minutes. I just wow. thought, what the hell? Wow. I was told this, this is impossible, that this is supposed to be injurious to your body. But we also thought that the human body could not survive below 100 feet. That's how the math works out. We thought the lungs were going to collapse. Well, I went out to write a magazine story for outside and saw people right in front of me dive to 300 and 400 feet, you know, 100 meters. And to come up four minutes later and just get back on the boat, grab a sandwich, and they were off. So I thought that, you know, I think that we've been selling ourselves short for so long. Our, our bodies are capable of incredible things, of healing themselves better than anything else and of doing things that we've been told are scientifically impossible. So once I saw free diving, once I started free diving myself, I'm not one of those daredevils who goes down 300 feet. That's just not my thing. I do it to focus on the connection with the ocean. I use it as a, as a meditative practice, mm. but after that, these free divers were, were just like, oh, free diving, that, that's the, a very small part of what breath can do for you. And they introduced me to stories of people who learned how to breathe in ways to superheat their bodies so they could sit in the snow for hours at a time and not suffer from frostbite or hypothermia. This is supposed to be medically impossible. The studies are there. They were conducted by Harvard Medical School. <laughs> and so it just really opens up this door of like, wow, our ancestors knew 
so much. They were able to take control of their health in so many amazing ways. What else can we learn from them and how else can we test it and see what we can take from our ancestors and these ancient systems and use for ourselves in the modern day? And that breathing technique you were talking about was called Timo breathing, if I stand corrected there. And uh, tell people about that. Because when I read that in the book, I was like, there's no way that you can sit on the top of the Himalayan mountains, <laughs> Mount Everest, and you know, be covered in wet sheets and then dry these sheets. That, tell us about that. That's insane. Through breathing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I first started writing this book, I had seen these claims and I thought that this would be interesting. And I talked to various researchers at prominent institutions and they told me all of this stuff was absolutely impossible, that the human body cannot do this. So I thought that that was even more interesting being that a bunch of other researchers were saying it was, it was possible. My job as a science journalist is to go into the field, be objective, to look at data, to measure things and to come out with with the real story. That's that's what I hope to do in my book. So um, this story about for the past few thousands of years, uh, Tumo monks uh, were supposed to be able to, as part of an initiation, to go out in the middle of winter in the snow, to sit there for eight hours and to breathe in ways to melt a circle around them. Totally impossible, right? Of course it is. <laughs> and in the 60s and 70s, people started traveling to Nepal. They started traveling to India coming back and said, you know what? I saw people and they were doing this. And it eventually got the ear of Herbert Benson, who is at Harvard, still at Harvard Medical School. He went out there with a bunch of researchers and found that these monks were able to do exactly that. He placed them in a cold room at one time, put a wet sheet over their shoulders, and a half an hour later, the sheet was dry. And you can see this on videos wow. throughout YouTube. You can read about it in a scientific article published in Nature, which is the top scientific journal in the world. So whether or not people want to believe this is one thing, but you have to look at data, you have to look at science, and you have to understand that the human body, we are just tapping into its real potential right now. And I think the secret behind that, like you alluded to earlier, is that breathing controls our central nervous system, which controls our bodily functions. So the rock star of breathing, apart from yourself, my friend, is a man by the name of Wim Hof. Uh, a lot of people in Australia have uh, probably not heard of him, but um, he's um, popularizing breathing in a subcultural level, I suppose, making it pop culture, um, which is a great thing because it's great for health. What's the difference in his... T can you explain to everyone out there, we talk about conscious breathing. I like to refer to the six breaths a minute as conscious breathing. He does this other style of breathing. Can you explain who he is and, and what breathing he, he shares with everyone? So Wim Hof is a Dutch man who in the past 20 years has garnered 26 world records. Uh, he's, you know, run a marathon uh, near Everest and bare feet, uh, shirtless. <laughs> I mean, the, the, he's run a marathon in the Sahara without ever drinking water. He sat in an ice bath for two hours and didn't suffer from frostbite or hypothermia. So all these things were supposed to be impossible, but there it is on videotape, <laughs> right? He's doing these things in laboratories. So he, I think, is really responsible for showing people the true potential of breathing. Mm. I talked to Wim some, somewhat often. Uh, great guy. Uh, I am a huge fan of his breathwork program. I've talked to various people who have used his breathing system to get rid of autoimmune diseases. Sounds impossible, but uh, it's all there. And here at University of California of San Francisco, Dr. Alyssa Eppel, who is famous for her work in telomeres, has just finished a study 
looking at breathing and rheumatoid arthritis. And that is coming out in a month. And the rumor is that it has a profound effect. So what this breathing does, consider Wim Hof breathing like going to the gym. You're not going to spend 24 hours in a gym doing curls, right? That would be really bad for your body. But going to the gym for half an hour or an hour, that's really good. So Wim Hof purposely stresses the body out. A lot of us think, why the hell do we want to stress our bodies out? We're already stressed enough. (laughs) But the point of this is condense that stress, is to put it in a prescribed amount of time to really stress your body out so that the other 23 and a half hours of the day, you're calm. Your body is operating properly. So it's like blowing a fuse so that you can just release all that pressure in your body. I'm a huge fan of this breathing. He calls it Wim Hof method. He has acknowledged very clearly this stuff has been around thousands of years. Other people call it Tumo. Mm. Um, Call it what you want, but the science is very clear that this can have a profound effect on your health, especially if you suffer from chronic autoimmune issues. That's that's what we're finding more and more every year. Yeah, you talk about it as um, breathing flexibility. And until you explain that then, that's mind-blowing because I was of the belief as well that we're already stressed enough. And here's this, you know, one could argue he's an outlier, but the, what he's doing is, is incredible. So there's obviously a genetic and mental capacity he's got beyond most normal people, but you can't argue with the breathing technique. But you just articulated it perfect then. So it's really, like you said, about really working the muscle in a short burst. Even though we're breathing incorrectly, get that right first by slowing your breathing down and breathing less. And then you probably should graduate then towards a Wim Hof style of breathing in small doses. Absolutely. I would start slow and low. Mm. Start off by breathing through your nose, becoming aware of your breath. That Mm. is the very first thing. And then breathe lightly, breathe Mm -hmm. deeply and, you know, very softly and slowly. And I would start with that. You can graduate to Wim Hof or Tumo or Sudarshan Kriya or Pranayama, whatever you want to call it, various names. They're mostly doing the same thing. And then you can work up from there. And, you know, these different methods, the Wim Hof method or these these other vigorous breathing methods, what they do is they create something called hermetic stress or hormesis. Mm. Because what we found is today, so many of us, we don't get any physical stress in our lives. We sleep on very soft beds. We have climate control wherever we go. We're eating these soft foods. We don't really shock the body out of this. And it turns out that by shocking the body, by making it work towards something, you can tone the immune system. Because when the body gets bored, just like when the brain gets bored, you know, idle hands do do the devil's work. (laughs) Uh, That's what's happening with so many people with immune functions. Not everyone, but with a lot of people who have immune problems, it's, it's because they haven't had these spikes. They haven't had this workout in their immune system to reset it. And that's exactly what these heavy breathing practices do. Well, there's some great information there for people to start their journey on breathing. And you've made me feel better today as well, because I remember as a professional athlete, our uh, high performance coach gave us these stupid nasal strips. And I was like, there's no way I'm running onto the field looking like an idiot in front of millions of people. Can you tell people that there's some little hacks around once you get the basics right, you can then look at things like nasal strips, mouth taping, homeo blocks. There's so many things, but yeah, let's start with the nasal strips. They they work, you, you said? Yeah, so if you've been breathing out of your mouth primarily for the past 20, 30 years, converting to nasal breathing is going to be miserable. Yeah. It's going to be so hard. And this is why so many people give up after a couple of days. Mm. But you have to do it. 
It's going to be really hard to ever celebrate in proper health if you're a mouth breather, period. That's just what the science is saying right now. So I am a huge fan of these little hacks that, you know, I look at them as training wheels Mm. to help you adapt more easily to nasal breathing. These breathe right strips, what they do is you put them sort of on the bridge of your nose. What they do is they pull up your nostrils, right? So if you take your two fingers and place them on the sides of your nostrils and pull those nostrils apart and breathe in through your nose, If you can breathe more easily that way, that means you're more susceptible to nasal collapse, which is making it harder for you to breathe through your nose. So these breathe right strips or mute inserts, and these are little inserts that go into the nose, can help dilate the nostrils about 30% and make nasal breathing easier. What I've found is these are great to use at the beginning. Uh, After a few weeks, a lot of people adapt to it. So the structures in the nose will literally adapt and start to open. So the nose is just like any other muscle in the body. The more it's used, the more you'll be able to use it. So just know in those first couple weeks, when you're nasal breathing and you're jogging around and there's snot running down (laughs) your face, like keep with it (laughs) because sometimes it takes even months to adapt to it. But the gains in performance and recovery are profound. And we've known this for decades and decades. Fascinating. And mouth taping, I've, I've done that myself. Uh, my wife thought I was a lunatic. Um, <laughs> can you tell people about that and the effectiveness of that as well? <laughs> yeah, I think our wives all need to get together and, and uh, have a you know glass of wine and talk about what freaks they're married to because I got this same gruff from, from my wife. I went to sleep with a little mouth on my tape. She's like, oh my God, what is this? And then I'll have you know about two weeks later she was sleeping with it on her (laughs) mouth so so sometimes we have to take the heat for a little while Uh, before they come around uh, but the point of mouth taping a lot of people when they hear oh you're going to tape your mouth they think of like some some hostage situation (laughs) or some bondage thing or whatever this is not that do not use duct tape do not use like a pulp fiction rubber ball and i mean i guess you can use that for other stuff but this is not what you want to be using when you're working out and especially when you're sleeping i use a teeny piece of micropore tape this has a very light adhesive on it and i put it right at center of my lips and it so happens to be i have a little now if anyone's watching this if you're not, I have just pulled off a piece of tape about the size of a postage stamp. I take a little adhesive off. That's mouth tape, right? So it comes right off, which is what you want. And what this does is it just trains you when you're unconscious to keep your mouth shut so that you breathe through your nose. This takes also maybe a week to get used to it. It's super weird, but I promise you, I've heard from hundreds of people who had mild to even moderate snoring and even sleep apnea that they've used this and they no longer suffer from these problems. And this is exactly what we found in the Stanford experiment. When I was breathing through my mouth, I was snoring up to four hours a night. When I put a little tape on my mouth and was breathing through my nose, that snoring went to zero. So did sleep apnea. And this has been true for so many other people. And I love your little hack around the fact that if you're drinking water in the middle of the night, this indicates you're a mouth breather. Absolutely. I mean, I spent decades with this huge mug. It didn't matter if I was camping or if I was in a hotel or if I was in home, I could not go to sleep without 20 ounces of water by my bedside because I would wake up throughout the night, take a few hits, wake up again, take a few hits. So my mouth was always dry. And if your mouth is dry, 
that's a clear sign you're breathing through your mouth at night. And again, 70%, up to 70% of the population is doing this. And once you convert to nasal breathing, you're not going to find any researcher who's, who's studied this that will argue with the benefits of nasal breathing at night. They, they are profound and transformative for, for so many people. I want to be clear that I'm not a doctor. I'm not a breathing therapist. I'm not going to say this is going to cure everything for everyone. I'm saying it's free. We know that the benefits of nasal breathing are, are very clear. The science is clear on that. And why not give it a go? It's worked for so many people. It's worked for myself and you've got nothing to lose. Well, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for impacting so many people's lives with this great advice that's been, for whatever reason, been hidden away in the dark corner like a naughty child. Thank you so much, Mr. James Nestor. You're a legend. And I applaud anybody out there to make sure that they pick up his book, It's a fantastic read and it will change your life. Thanks again, my friend. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we hope you learnt a lot about breathing with that episode with James Nestor and Adam McDougall. If you want to hear more hacks, go back to our past episodes and listen to how you can hack your body from anything to diet, exercise, muscle growth, mental resilience, and of course, lots of people Adam has interviewed to find out how they've hacked their lives so we can pass that knowledge on to you. And if you want to get in touch with the show, healthhackerthemanshake.com.au is the email address or hit us up on Adam's Manshake socials at the website, themanshake.com.au. We can hack into anything for you. We just want to know what it is so we can make your life better, stronger and healthier as much as we can. We'll speak to you on the next one. Health Hacker was created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. To listen to more episodes, search Health Hacker Podcast. Listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.